Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio show, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a show dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in education and beyond on the important education issues of the day, a conversation that brings the state leaders to you, and I hope that you all feel free to join in on the conversation. My name is Ray Penny, and I'll be your host for this morning. A couple of ground rules. First, we will not be using the chat room feature on the show today that you see on the web page. If you are interested in calling, calling in, a few things you should know. To call, <coughs> excuse me, to call in, dial 1-347-989-8904, and when you are ready to make a comment or ask a question, press 1. That will indicate in my switchboard that you are ready to do that. I have someone who will be screening the callers. Her name is Christy, so that I can get the names of the caller and their question or topic. Also, if you are on the phone line, I will ask that you turn down the volume on your computer and only listen on the phone since there will be a delay and it is a bit confusing. Finally, I will not be taking callers right away, but will uh, later in the show, about 15 minutes or so in. So be patient. On March 1st, the Governor's Education Effectiveness Task Force released the finding, its findings on teacher evaluations as well as principal evaluations. The chair of that committee, Dr. Brian Zakowski, was a guest on the show back in December when the committee was first starting. He said at the time he believed that their report would be the beginning of a conversation on finding a new way and hopefully a better way to evaluate our teaching staff. A day before the Governor's Task Force, released their report, another group called Equate, Educators for the Quality Assessment of Teacher Effectiveness, got together and released their own report on the subject. This group was comprised of a collection of people who had experience in education at various levels from the New Jersey Department of Education, principals, teachers, superintendents, and the local board members. Not surprisingly, some of their thoughts differ from the Governor's Task Force, but in reading both reports, they may not be as far apart as people might think. This month, I'm planning, I'm planning on having the chairs of the two committees join me to discuss the issue of teacher evaluations. Since these reports are the beginning of a conversation, I felt like I should keep the conversation going. Uh, today, I am fortunate to have with me Mr. Earl Kim, the chair of the Equate Task Force and also the superintendent of the Montgomery Township School District. Welcome, Mr. Kim. Thank you, Ray. Um, and for the in the uh, in the, I guess in fairness, I should let everyone know that Dr. Brian Zakowski will be with us on April 29th. So uh, this is a two-part interview. Uh, Mr. Kim, could you briefly tell us a little bit about your background in education? Sure. I uh, did my undergraduate education in upstate New York. Uh, after that, I did four years in the Marine Corps. I've been in education uh, for 20 years, uh, first as an alternate route teacher at Trenton Central High School, uh, took some time out to go back to graduate school in public policy, came back in as an alternate route administrator. Uh, I'm now in my eighth year as a superintendent and my sixth year as a charter school trustee. Um, and altogether, I've taught for 13 years, including uh, 10 while serving as a building administrator. Okay, so you have a good variety, too. And, and you're in Montgomery right now, and but you started in Trenton as a teacher. Yes, that's right. And you and you're also on the charter school trustee. I am. Wow, that that is a good varied background. Um, I I briefly talked about what Equate was, but why do they form and who 
Who was the catalyst behind this? Um, why did he quit form? We we formed because um, we we saw that the governor had a pretty ambitious um, education reform agenda. Um, uh, there were a lot of things going on at the time, and um, one of the things uh, that was of uh, significant concern to me was the initiative around uh, evaluating te- teacher or uh, educator effectiveness. Um, so I reached out to some people uh, from who were parents, who were teachers, administrators, researchers, and policymakers, um, who had significant experience with uh, evaluation of staff in the public and private sectors. Um, and these aren't just um, you know run-of-the-mill people. I think if you uh, take a look at the report in the appendix, you'll see that these are. Uh, pretty accomplished individuals, both in private and public sector. Um, you know, the teachers were teachers of the year for the state of New Jersey. They uh, have private sector experience as managing directors for um, finance and um, Fortune 100 companies. Um, there are principals, superintendents, again, all parents as well, uh, policymakers, former legislators, uh, So we try and researchers, and we try to get... Uh, as many stakeholder groups involved uh, without making the uh, task force uh, too large. And so why did we uh, come together? Because we thought that um, the governor's task force uh, would benefit from um, having some additional points of view represented. We felt that um, many stakeholders were excluded from um, this core education policy uh, decision, and so we wanted to work with them um, and to inform their um, proposal, ultimate proposal. Okay, and and, and I have to say that um, I have to compliment uh, Mr. Brian or Dr. Zakowski, who chaired the governor's task force, uh, because uh, we kept in touch throughout the process, and at one point made a presentation to uh, the governor's task force. Yes. Um, and he he actually did state on the show back in December that it, it really his report is not uh, not his report his the task force report is it is the beginning it's not the end of a process and and I think in the beginning of your statement of your task force you did say in the, in the opening uh, dialogue that most of you will still be involved in education so this is the beginning for you to a certain degree too. Uh, yes. Be, before we get to the report's recommendations, how how would you judge or how did the task your task force look at how we evaluate teachers now. Is it good? Can it be improved? Is it very good? What was your uh, status of where we are now as a state? Yeah, I, again, keeping in mind that um, we came from uh, a number of districts uh, throughout the state, um, and uh, those who worked at the department level have, uh, frankly, between the members of the task force, we probably had visited every school district in this state. Um, uh, our, our view is that uh, the practices uh, with, in, in districts around the state are, are very good, that the quality of our teaching force is, is very good to high, um, that wherever you go in any school that you uh, visit, you'll find competent, caring, and dedicated professionals uh, in our schools who are very eager to do whatever it takes to make the lives of their students better. 
Um, having said that, um, I think and uh, other members of the, the Equate group believe that we can um, improve some of our practices, um, both in terms of um, supervisor evaluation of, of teachers or uh, of principals, but we also believe that there are other means uh, to the end of uh, improving instructional practice in the classrooms in general um, that depart uh, significantly from the primary recommendation of the governor's uh, task force. But uh, in the second half of the report, um, there's a suggestion that there may be some alternatives out there. And um, so I, I think uh, at least to the latter end, we we are we're in agreement. Um, and also, I think uh, it's important to keep in mind uh, as we talk about evaluating teachers that we're talking about uh, teachers who have gone through a, a pretty uh, significant pre-screening um, before even entering the teacher workforce. Uh, pre-service educational experiences, if they come in through the alternate route, there's still some uh, pre-service experience. Um, so uh, there, there is, there is a, a sorting process, both pre-service and uh, once uh, people are in are a part of the profession. Um, and again, I don't want to come across as sounding like there are no problems in education. Um, if we're going to improve as a, a school system in New Jersey, uh, we have to uh, do it from the classroom on up. Uh, now, you you mentioned it earlier, and I'm just jumping in a little that. Mm -hmm. The governor's task force was really based on, uh, strongly based on student achievement, measuring student achievement and tying teacher evaluations to student achievement. Uh, but I think it's better known as ZAM, uh, value-added model. Um, what are some of the pitfalls, I guess, you have? Because from a general public's point of view, well, isn't that what a teacher's about? It's, it's yeah, about I, I can see that. Um, it is true that we uh, uh, disagreed with the manner in which the um, task force relied on uh, value-added models or growth models um, in uh, assessing teacher effectiveness. And I also understand the appeal that um, a number or a uh, growth uh, factor or predicted uh, a variance from predicted values um, has to uh, people outside of the education world. Um, but there are uh, both uh, statistical problems and practical problems with the implementation of value-added or growth models that um, we saw. Um, so just like to what? highlight a few of them, I think. Um, okay. the, um, the first is that um, as important as teachers are, and um, that when we go with value-added scores, particularly those based on, on standardized test scores, uh, we find that uh, the measures account for only about three to four percent. Teachers account for only about three to four percent of the variation in uh, uh, student test scores. Um, fully ninety percent of the variation in the VAMS is is attributable to student characteristics and the interaction of uh, learning and test taking styles with the instruments that are used to measure uh, students' achievement. So to ascribe. Um, such a large weight uh, to student achievement measures, particularly standardized tests, and, and keep in mind that the task force recommended, 
I believe it was 35% uh, standardized test and 15% other measures of student achievement. But right. all of our measures, standardized tests are actually one of the best, um, the one of the most valid, not necessarily not best, but most valid um, measures, most reliable measures because they're standardized and they've gone through a psychometric process. Um, whereas other uh, student achievement measures are noisier. Um, but to, to place such great weight on noisy estimates like that is um, using those measures beyond their explanatory power. It, it, it is really malpractice to, to use them in that way. Um, we're not opposed to using pupil progress indicators in teacher evaluation, but using them in the way that's suggested um, is um, wrong, uh, will lead to erroneous results. Uh, one analysis uh, indicated that we would get about one in four false positives, meaning you'd identify an ineffective or a highly effective teacher incorrectly one in four times, 25% of the time, using three years of perfect student data, meaning we were able to match every student to a teacher fully and attribute fully the portion of the teacher's value added to that student um, in our data. And in reality, we know that that's not ever going to happen. Um, in so addition, what would you recommend? Your point is that we, right now we don't have the the ability to get good data to measure student achievement. And one, because I guess your question even the test can even be questioned. Uh, but I guess your other point is that it, it's not the best measure of teacher effectiveness. Is that your point? I think yes, that is that is my point. And also, you know, if you if you look at the uh, Gates uh, measurements of effective teaching study that came out in the past year. Now, this is a really large-scale analysis that's really designed to try to uh, identify um, value, the effect that value-added measures can have. Um, the other indicators of teacher effectiveness, uh, including uh, student uh, feedback on teacher effectiveness. So it, it is a, a study that has a slight bias to it, um, but there they gave two tests. One they considered to be higher order, than the other. And teachers who were judged effective on the low order test uh, were judged ineffective on the high order test. So the test makes a big difference. Um, and one of the things that we talk about in our report is, uh, and I've heard the acting commissioners say, or I, I, I should say I read it in the paper just the other day, that we really need to think hard before we start going down this road of value added about which outcomes really matter. And by that I mean, you know, we, we have this HESPA test, and that really matters to kids because if they don't pass it, they don't graduate from high school. But does it really matter? Does the HESPA test really matter uh, for, for lifetime outcomes? Does it matter? Does it, is it a predictor of persistence in college, of wage differences, of productive worker productivity, of active participation in democracy? Um, to my knowledge, there's no evidence that that's the case. Um, so, so how would, yeah. how would we measure then teacher effectiveness uh, if we can? Is it is it impossible to measure? Uh, actually, if you uh, if you look at uh, the value added studies um, mm -hmm. and uh, again assume perfect data for three years at least um, because that's what you need to get some stability to the scores. Um, and att attributions to individual teachers. Um, we find that 
they're no better at identifying highly effective or uh, ineffective teachers than our principal's observation and evaluation. So, um, and in the broad middle, and in both cases, both the VAM approach and the traditional approach, uh, we find that the broad middle um, of effective teachers can't be distinguished one from the other. And to use an analogy, it's kind of like building a varsity softball team. You know, 40 uh, girls come out for the team. You know, you have spots for maybe 18 people. It's easy to pick out the the the, the the best of the players that you definitely need on the team. It's easy to pick out those who uh, aren't ready for the varsity level yet. Um, but when it comes down to choosing those 17th and 18th players and you're somehow distinguishing them from the 19th and 20th players, um, any softball coach will tell you that's that's really... That's hard. It, it, it's an impossible task. They're, they're, all, they're all good players. Um, but it really depends on which side of the bed you wake up in the morning to decide who's number 17 and who's number 18. Let me just switch gears a little bit. Uh, just if anyone's listening, uh, if you want to call, to ask a question of Mr. Kim, dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and press 1, and uh, we'll get your comment. What are the recommendations that your task force made? In fact, the first one was the, the formation of a guiding coalition to help in this area. Uh, of teacher evaluation. Could you explain this recommendation? Sure. Again, we think this is important work to do. Um, how we approach teacher evaluation, the purposes we see in it are, are, are very important. And for it to be effective, we do need uh, broad-based support. Um, we need buy-in, not just from principals, but from teachers as well. Um, and teachers, I can tell you, do want to improve their practice all the time. That's why they revise lessons again and again, year after year, day after day. Um, so they want to be involved. Uh, they want to be a part of the process because um, standard setting in professional practice, uh, whether we're talking about teachers or doctors or lawyers, um, requires pe input from people closest to the work. Um, you know, if I were going to set standards for doctors, I don't think I would go to a, um, I don't know, a, a business school or a research university. I think I would uh, pull in uh, practitioners uh, along with the researchers and other people um, because they know uh, the work the best. Um, so I, I think uh, building this broad-based coalition is, is critical. I think that um, it's not just my opinion, of course, you know, there's, uh, those change management gurus like John Cotter at Harvard and uh, Keegan and Wagner at Harvard, um, Peter Senge at MIT, you know, they all say pretty much the same thing. Uh, education is no different from any other um, uh, large um, enterprise uh, that centers around very complex activities, teaching being one of them, the, the central complex activity. And to... to to create change at scale uh, does, in first instance, require that broad-based coalition. Uh, okay, we also uh, have a, a few other recommendations. Did you want yeah. me to talk about that? Uh, well, let me go to, from my reading of it, you took a, a, a more measured approach and a slower approach than the governor did. You, 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 like you recommended a pilot program if we're going to start down this road. Uh, basically, because I don't think anyone has really done anything across the country in really a broad base in teacher evaluations like this, have they? Uh, 
Uh, actually, they have, and uh, in our report, we include an appendix that summarizes um, several of the um, pretty well-known approaches to uh, statewide teacher evaluation systems. And uh, yesterday, or this week in Education Week, there was a, a summary of a report that was just released out of the uh, Federal Department of Education done by uh, a researcher at Harvard on uh, growth models uh, across the nation. Um, New Jersey is, is planning to use a growth model based on Colorado's. And it was very interesting to read um, the results of that, uh, keeping in mind that the federal government was uh, pinning uh, a significant portion of its race-to-the-top money uh, based on a state's um, buying into one of these growth models. So they had a, a real uh, stake in this report. And the report found that in all but one state, um, the growth models didn't have a significant impact on turning around schools. Uh, and in the one state uh, that it did, it was due to a definitional issue. And once you constrain the definition to the, the same definition that's used in other states, uh, the the results were, were the same as in other states. So it's not saying that it's a bad idea, um, but the the reliance on a technical change like um, a VAM or growth uh, to bring about systemic change, I think, is, um, again, um, putting too great weight on something that is um, not designed uh, to carry that burden. Um, real change... And it doesn't have any... Does it have any it, I guess what you're saying, it doesn't have any proven success either. At um, this point. Or broad-based proven well, uh, yeah, the the, the value-added measures um, are correlated with um, teacher effectiveness. Um, they're weak. There are, uh, for example, in the top 15 and bottom 15%, you could say there is a correlation that can be shown, but there is a high false positive rate, which is a concern. So if you're going to use these things to drive teacher evaluation or to, to drive merit pay systems or incentive systems, not the way to go. Um, and people in the private sector with um, experience with incentive systems um, also will tell you the same thing. Um, you know, ironically, that the BP uh, uh, or, or the Transocean oil execs uh, who were responsible for that disaster in the Gulf got a $1 million bonus for, for their record on safety um, is, an, is a, an example. Uh, and it's an unfair example, admittedly, of um, merit systems uh, ineffectiveness. Um, now, is that why you recommended a pilot program to start this evaluation system solely instead of changing the entire system? Uh, it's one of the reasons. Um, you know, because the the research generally indicated that it wasn't going to be uh, have the effects that were desired. Piloting would make sense. Um, also, there are significant costs. Uh, involved um, not just in hardware, technology, data systems, but in um, people to manage those systems, to scrub the data at the district level. In urban districts where you have 28% student migration and 25% teacher turnover, um, attributing students to specific teachers um, can be nightmarish. It takes staff to do that. These are all costs to the system. They're a non-educational don't impact the classroom. Um, and in these times, it, it really doesn't make sense. But if the benefits 
uh, can be shown to outweigh the cost than you know in, through a pilot program by all means. So that is one reason, but there are other reasons. Um, our state is in the, in in the process of switching uh, standards. In 2009-10, we we adopted new standards for mm-hmm. based on the Common Core, and uh, by September of 2011, we have to have new curricula aligned uh, to the Common Core, which are standards that are significantly different, particularly in math. Um, and so the tests that are designed around the Common Core will be different uh, from the tests. Uh, that are currently in place this year. So if you did a value-added system differencing scores for one test uh, against scores for a test that's wholly different, uh, the results wouldn't make sense, especially given what we know from the Gates report that depending on the kind of test you give, students will perform very well and teachers value-added would, would show significant gain, or students could perform very poorly and the teacher's value added would would show as very low. So we're in this period of transition where we're we're moving to new tests. There should be field testing of new tests to make sure that the um, items on the test are valid measures of the um, new standards. Um, So while we're doing that, we're also going to be testing out evaluation frameworks to ensure that they're valid measures of teacher effectiveness. And we, we go through the steps. Uh, of rolling this out that a that would be psychometrically defensible, that would be uh, human resource defensible, that would minimize uh, litigation costs down the road due to uh, poorly designed um, instruments or uh, in hopefully not but invalid instruments um, on which high stakes decisions like employment or tenure are 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 made. Um, so we we give a timeline. Uh, in, in one of our recommendations that we yeah. think would be reasonable for a pilot program. And we also su- suggest that given that we have 600 um, districts in, in the state, each at a different place in its uh, organizational development, that it might open um, alternative uh, paths to them to be innovative, um, to pilot programs, and um, to compare um, how how those districts perform against um you know, ones that are perhaps piloting um, the evaluation that the state proposes. Let me go to one area yeah, where you agreed with the governor, or not the governor's task force, but, well, you didn't agree completely, but one of your recommendations was uh, what they call PAR, and now we're adding new acronyms to our education system, which is not, it's not the one thing we needed with no more acronyms, but PAR is peer assistance review. Uh, could you explain what that is? Because the governor's task force recommended that, too, so there were some differences. Right. Um, the peer assistance and review model uh, exists in a number of districts. They're largely urban districts, but there was one that, that caught our, our eye, and that was the third largest NEA affiliate in, in the United States, Montgomery County, Maryland, which is a twin of Somerset County in New Jersey in terms of demographics, so it's a, a real nice uh, study for, for us. Um, has had a system for about eight years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, it is similar to some of the others, but significantly different from some of the others uh, in other um, towns. So uh, basically what it is, is it's um, a standards-based model. Um, in the case of Montgomery County, Maryland, it used the National Board of Professional Teaching Standards as its backbone. Um, it takes uh, 
educators, both um, distinguished practitioners, teachers, and administrators, and puts them in equal numbers on a, a peer assistance and review panel. Um, the, there, is, there, are, there are three components, the peer assistance review panel, a consulting teacher, and a, um, a par pair, which is an administrator and teacher assigned to oversee and to be the liaison between the consulting teacher and the par panel. Um, so let's say we, I, I, I as a principal identify a, an ineffective teacher. The first thing that happens is that the uh, par pair, the administrator and teacher, from the panel, visit the principal, ensure that all the steps have been taken, the appropriate steps have been taken, to give um, the teacher who's been identified opportunities to improve. There's a responsibility, professional responsibility there on the principal. Um, if all those things have um, happened, and the um, then the teacher is referred to the PAR panel, a plan is put together um, to uh, improve the teacher's practice. Um, a consulting teacher is assigned to that teacher to work with him or her um, to make progress on the plan and to, uh, to report back to the uh, PAR panel on progress throughout the year. And at the end of the year, a professional judgment is made by the um, educators on the panel as to whether uh, the person, the teacher, should be renewed, should be dismissed, or should be um, given a provisional year. Um, in the seven or eight years of um, evaluating tenured teaching staff members, the uh, PAR panel in Montgomery County uh, worked with over 190 teachers, and I believe the number of um, successful interventions, if you could call them that, mm-hmm. was... Um, about 37% and about um, 15%, I'm sorry, 20% were dismissed and about 15% retired or resigned after that. There's been only one um, case, we were told, that w- that actually went to uh, due process um, before a judge and that was ruled in favor of the uh, PAR panel. So um, we think it's a... A very good model uh, in that it uh, elevates the practice of teaching, it recognizes teaching as um, a profession, and uses um, educators um, with expertise in the field to um, make professional judgments about uh, who meets the standards to be in their profession. Um, We think it's a pretty powerful model. It's one that's used in other professions. Um, and uh, I think the data are appealing to us, um, given that uh, you know some might characterize it as the fox guarding the hen house, but the data belie that notion. So now the governor's task force uh, also mentions this. How how is their recommendation a little different then? Um, I, I don't think it was different. Um, you know, they mentioned it in the second part of their report as uh, an example of an alternative um, that might be piloted as well um, as others that districts might say um, do a better job in improving professional practice. 
And I think the the benefit of these uh, kinds of pilots is that um, if we for if we are truly, and hopefully we are, a large community of practice in New Jersey, uh, then we will uh, adopt uh, more effective practices as we see them. Um, right. I think the only thing I can remember that they stated is they didn't want the PAR panel to be part of the bargaining unit. And I think that was, I, I guess they felt that was a conflict. And I, if I remember, you just left that up to the local district to negotiate. Yeah, we, we felt it was important, and, and this is important. I think um, not every district is ready for this kind of PAR panel thing. Mm-hmm. If there's not a collaborative culture within the district, uh, I don't think it would work. If there is distrust within the district, I think it wouldn't work. But um, if a a district is ready for this, they should be able to collectively bargain um, a a par approach. And um, that's what happened in Montgomery County. Um, We've already met with five other school districts that are interested, uh, teams of administrators and teachers from other school districts. Um, They are highly interested in in actually developing a plan. Um, And uh, so they're going back to their districts now to to seek board authorization to develop a plan, which would require board approval and collective bargaining and the whole nine yards as part of it. Um, But, you know, there are districts in New Jersey. We didn't solicit um, participation. Just people called us and said, you know, that was kind of interesting. Would you like to, to take the next step? So we did, and um, oh, okay. hopefully uh, we're allowed to do this. Now, um, you didn't really get in, in, into it in your report, but the governor's task force did mention the evaluations of building principles tied just on a larger scale similar to teachers. Did you discuss principal evaluations in your task force? Uh, we did, um, uh, and it, it sort of got lost in in describing the specific par process for teachers. Uh, there's actually a parallel process for principals. Uh, Montgomery County has one of those as well. We we don't have the data on that uh, yet. Um, so, you know, that's why we didn't go into it in any detail. We want to give, be able to give the governor's task force uh, something uh, very concrete uh, with data behind it, so that they uh, could. Um, make some judgments themselves or pursue further uh, particular ideas that were presented. Um, So, yes, there are parallel processes for principals, and similarly with the proposal around the governor's task force recommendation where we gave the timeline um, and the activities that need to be done in each year and why they need to be done in that order. Um, Similarly, the principal's um, evaluation process would be um, developed on that timeline. Um, my concern there would be uh, the department's bandwidth, which we know to be very low right now, mm-hmm. and um, our concern that uh, if we put out any kind of pilots that are slipshod or um, half-baked, that that will um, torpedo any effort to do this again in the future. People will say, oh, yeah, I remember back when they tried that. Well, if we haven't put our best foot foot forward, we shouldn't put it forward at all, um, in my opinion. Um, the stakes are too high. Now, one of, the, one of the impetus behind all this from the governor's point of view, and I, I guess the commissioner too, is they want to change tenure. 
So the feeling is that you have to change the evaluation system that you have if you're going to change the tenure system. Did you discuss tenure in your task force at all? Uh, we we talked because, about it, but um, and we talked about seniority too. Um, but as we got into it and tried to draft things, it became apparent that um, they're much more complex than um, you know a one-liner could do, or even a few par paragraphs. We did see uh, value in in tenure and in seniority, um, in seniority regulations and tenure laws. Um, you know, you can look at the political firings recently, or the some of the arbitrary firings that that occur, and um, it leads one to understand why um, tenure exists and why there are seniority regulations. Seniority regulations actually do try to um, minimize the effect of last in, first out. Um, you know, by saying, well, somebody has to be credentialed in an area in order to be retained. Could it be improved? Uh, we think so, but as we try to, to make actual improvements to it, we found how dicey it got. Um, you know, we see people who weren't keen on certification uh, because certification doesn't appear to have any effects on student learning uh, found that, geez, the certifications actually help when it comes to the seniority-based firings um, because somebody actually has to have expertise in an area um, to teach in that area. So um, uh, we didn't feel that we could put forward any uh, concrete recommendations around tenure and seniority. But it's interesting in the PAR approach that tenured teachers, um, they also have PAR for non-tenured, but for tenured teachers who went through the PAR process, um, that only one went to due process out of 191 cases is pretty remarkable. Um, hmm. Only one person disagreed with the professional judgment of their peers. I think that's that's pretty good. It's probably one thing to have maybe an administrator that you don't particularly like criticize your teaching. It's probably another thing when you have four or five professionals uh, say the same thing. Right, and, uh, and and if you have a superintendent who has no educational experience um, and not not singling anybody out, and and they suddenly they're new and they come in and they say, you know what, this is how it's going to be, um, and they really have no professional judgment to offer. Uh, I don't know that um, that's a good thing for teachers without tenure. Um, so, can there can it you be know, can it be revised? Absolutely, uh, but I think it needs to be carefully looked at by with with all involved. Now, uh, the thing is, uh, you make a very good point that it's very hard to evaluate teachers with the data that we have currently and and how we use the data and but and I'll get back I probably said this earlier but uh the governor says most parents know if their kids teacher is a good teacher or not uh they just know by the homework and what the, how the kids reacting is it that hard to really evaluate teachers cuz yeah, most people yeah, in their gut is, say is we all know who the good teachers teacher. are um because Again, it's a complex task. I think parents are, are one uh, instrument. I think actually students are, are more valuable than parents in that regard because parents are one step removed. Do they feel for their child? Are they aware of what's going on in their child's classroom? To some extent, they are. 
Uh, and their feedback is important when it comes to things like communication. How are we doing on communication? Uh, how are we doing with making your child feel comfortable in the classroom? Um, but, um, you know, the um, reliability and validity of uh, parent feedback actually isn't um, well uh, demonstrated. Uh, even, um, well, let me just leave it at that. Um, the uh, even professional judgment, as we, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a principal who's been trained, who's been teaching for many years, who's been in every every classroom, you know, thousands of classrooms over the years, has difficulty distinguishing between the teacher in the 37th percentile and the teacher in the the 60th percentile uh, among his staff. Um, the studies from New York show that uh, the margin of error on a um, uh, on a a judgment might be 28% on the order of 28%, meaning you can't distinguish between the 78th percentile and the, the uh, 22nd percentile teacher. Um, that's a wide range. Um, so, so what you're saying is it's easy to to identify the teachers that are probably very poor and very very good and effective, maybe with all students, but there's the vast majority of teachers are probably in in between and. I'll, as a parent, I'll say this. I've seen teachers who were effective with one student, one one child that I have, but they're not as effective with my other child because my other child has a different learning style. Absolutely. Is that, is that common that some teachers are more effective with different types of students? That That is absolutely the truth, and uh, I think, well, in every district that I've been in, uh, principals use their uh, uh, knowledge of the individual child and the teachers on their staff uh, their propensities, their tendencies, just like a manager of a baseball team, and uh, to to match students to teachers. Um, while we would like to think that every teacher could handle every kind of child and was attuned to every kind of uh, learner, uh, we know that that's an impossible task. So another problem with value-added, actually, is the failure to account for this kind of um, non-random allocation of students to teachers. Okay. Uh, we give, if someone, if someone, say a teacher is great with kids who have learning disabilities or the problem kids, but they don't necessarily have great test scores, but he brings them up better. He may, the principal may give that teacher more of those students. Yeah. So, so let me give you a, a a very meaningful example. Um, as a high school principal, knowing how important high school graduation is uh, for lifetime outcomes, uh, I would give my most difficult students to uh, my most competent teachers. And their primary goal um, wasn't to raise the HESPA score because the HESPA score has no meaning for lifetime outcomes, but to get them to graduate, to stay in the game. Uh, I think one of the, I heard a, a story of um, one of the task force members, um, the governor's task force members, talking about his role uh, in a parochial school was to keep the students off the street. That is, I think, a legitimate outcome to, to seek. Um, it was a different way of saying our goal is to keep kids in school, to have them attain at a high level, uh, because that is an outcome that matters. Okay, so it's not always about the test scores, what you're saying. Right. For each kid. Uh, very briefly, uh, what, what, how do you evaluate in your school? your school district? Well, what's the most effective thing that you've seen? Is it observations or what? Um, I think it's a combination of things. Um, 
we have a pretty conventional evaluation system in our school system. Um, it's, it focuses on teacher performance in the classroom. Um, it focuses on their participation in a community of practice among professionals, which is vitally important. Um, it, it focuses on um, engagement in the, school in, in the school community, which we think is also important. Um, it focuses on a fourth area dealing with uh, classroom environment, um, the extent to which students uh, are made to feel comfortable and engage in classroom activities. So um, it's pretty conventional in that regard. Uh, pupil oh. progress indicators are looked at as a part of our evaluation process, right. but they don't drive the evaluation. Um, okay, and, I'm going um, to cut you off because I only have a few seconds left. I'm sorry. sorry. Uh, uh, first, I'd like to thank you, Mr. Kim, for joining me. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a pleasure to have you. Uh, that brings us to the end of another Conversations on New Jersey Education. I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation. As I always say, our kids' education is too important not to talk about. Our next scheduled show is next Friday, the 15th, and we have Diane Ravitch, the noted education historian, with us. And thank you once again for tuning in, and uh, hopefully that you listen next week. Thank you and goodbye.